yielding to God. And uh, it has to do with just simply giving up our personal rights, our personal desires, our, our personal goals, and giving them to the Lord, allowing Him to have everything that we've got. If you would, please stand. So in Matthew chapter 19, <coughs> look with me if you would, beginning in verse 16, and we'll read down through verse 22. It says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Which? Jesus said, uh, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful to be able to Gathered together tonight, and I realize we're gathering together in homes all over the city and outside the city, uh, but Lord, our hearts are united tonight, and uh, we need something from your word. We need something that will, will help us throughout the week. We need a reminder of uh, who it is that owns and possesses everything that we have. I'm so thankful I serve a merciful God. I'm thankful I serve a patient God a loving God, and I also serve a just God and a righteous God. Uh, Lord, uh, you are all those things. And uh, uh, if there's ever anyone that we should be willing to be able to give everything to, once we trust you as Savior, it ought to be you. So, Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts tonight through your word, by your spirit. And we'll be careful to thank you and praise you for what you do. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> the, um, the amount of, of anger and the amount of worry that is in our life is directly related to our view of ownership. And, and I've, I've, I've watched over my lifetime, I've seen this. I've seen this in other people's lives. I've seen it too vividly even in my own life. Uh, lately, particularly with COVID coming in, with everything being just really disheveled in our lives and changed, uh, we, we have a tendency to want to grab onto everything that we have and everything that we own. Uh, and, and when we uh, have the wrong view of ownership, what happens is is that we get angry and we get worried. We get angry when someone tries to threaten what we have, and we get worried when uh, we can't get more than, than more of what we think we should have and uh, uh, can't keep what we do have. 
Uh, anger and worry will rob you from having a full and a happy life. Uh, did you ever see an angry or a nervous person who's truly, honestly happy? You really haven't, uh, because those two don't coexist together. Um, they, uh, they, they also, both the anger and the worry will affect, it will affect your fellowship with God, it'll affect your power with God. Now there's some things that prevented the rich young ruler who came to Jesus, uh, it, there's some things that prevented him from finding fulfillment and finding true happiness. Look at me in verse 16. Verse 16 says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And what he focused on was he focused on the good that he could do. Well, Jesus came, came back and said, there, there is none good but God. Romans chapter 3 and verse 12 says, There is none that doeth good. No, not one. The reason why he asked this question is because he had a problem with pride. If you think you can do any good thing all by yourself, uh, then you've got a pride problem and you're heading into trouble. Uh, I'm only capable of doing good if God does that good through me. I have what I have and you have what you have and I am what I am and you are what you are by the grace of God. Uh, you know, again, what I've noticed with, uh, with this COVID business going on today, uh, it's, it's, you know, you, you, can, you can cross every T and you can dot every I, and yet you can still, you can be so careful, and yet you'll still be one of the people that possibly will get COVID. Somebody else will be careless, footloose, and fancy free, and they, they don't get it. Uh, the bottom line is this, Christ said, With, without me, ye can do nothing. I, I, I really believe the reason why oftentimes God uh, just kind of shakes and rattles our cage from time to time and uh, goes after the things that we depend upon for security, just so that we can understand <laughs> that, that, that without him, we're not secure. Without him, we're not safe. Without him, we can do nothing. I, uh, uh, you know, the Bible says, Paul wrote, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul understood there was no good thing in him, in my flesh, he said dwelleth no good thing. Uh, Bible says that only by pride cometh contention. And when pride starts to well up in our lives, there's turmoil and there's, there's, uh, there's conflict in, in our lives. Uh, what you do does not impress God one iota. It just doesn't. Uh, we, don't, we don't impress him, he impresses us. Uh, years ago, Pastor Keck was telling me when he was in Rochester and uh, working at Eastman Kodak, there was a fellow who thought a lot of himself and thought that he was indispensable in the company. And he sat across the table from his boss talking about how valuable he was and how that he was thinking about possibly going to another job and this, that, and the other thing and kind of, kind of flaunting what he thought was his pull in the company. <laughs> 
And the, the boss just simply looked at him. He said, let me show you something. And he took his finger and he dipped it in the water, or excuse me, in the coffee that was set before him and pulled it out. It rippled for just a second and then it went right back to where it was. He said, you see that? And the guy looked at him and said, yep. And he says, that's how much we're going to miss you when you're gone. That was a good humility check uh, for the guy, because uh, the, real, the, the realization is, is that uh, when we put importance in or credit on uh, ourselves for what we do for God, we're taking pride in our efforts. It's not us, but it's God who works through us. The bottom line is this. God does not need us. We need God. And we need God desperately, and, and situations are brought into our lives so that we can recognize and realize just how much we truly do need Him. The second thing, if you look down verse 17 through 20, verse, verse uh, 17 says, And He said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Which... And Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Now, first of all, um, do you really believe what he said? All these things I have kept from my youth up. I'm sorry, but uh, I don't believe that he never violated one of those commandments one single time. But the other thing that we can observe from this is how he viewed his obedience. His obedience to God was, was measured by his outward actions uh, toward, toward man in particular. And he put value on the outward things. The commandments that were omitted were the commandments that had to do with loving the Lord thy God with all thy heart, uh, no other gods before me, no idols, covetousness, and the Sabbath. Uh, th those things, although the Sabbath is, uh, is an outward action, all those other things are, are things that have to do with the attitude of the heart and our relationship with the Lord. And what he did not understand was that obedience starts on the inside. You know, the scripture tells us, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now notice it does not say, work for your own salvation with fear and trembling. It says, work out. In other words, the salvation is already in your heart because tr Christ has saved you. The Bible says when we get saved, we're sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. And uh, uh, it, he makes it very clear that when we trust Christ, it changes us on the inside. It's not from the outside in, it's from the inside out. And uh, the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, that can't be outwardly. That has to be inwardly. In the Ephesians chapter 2, it says that we were, before we trusted Christ as Savior, we were dead 
in trespasses and sins. And now we're made alive in Jesus Christ. So there's a, there's a definite difference that has taken place, and the difference starts on the inside. Well, the Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, take that which he has worked in and work on, uh, on a relationship with God, work on a right heart and right attitudes toward God and others, and then work those things out into your everyday life. The third thing that, that I notice is, is down in verses 21 and 22. Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Uh, he was bound to his possessions. He didn't really own his possessions. I'm afraid his possessions owned him. And when our possessions begin to dictate what we do, where we go, and what we say, and how we, how we serve the Lord, they become our God. And they become the one who really, the, one, the things that actually control us. Uh, things kept him from serving God, and things kept him from following the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, one of the keys of, of freedom in the Christian life when it comes to serving God is yielding our rights to God and yielding our ownership of all that we have to Him. Based upon, based upon this, this story, I want to give you just some, some very basic insights about ownership and how we should view ownership in the Christian life. Number one, those who hold onto their rights ha often, have, have, uh, often have been called by God to do something and they failed to do it. I've, I've watched this thing happen over and over and over again. God calls someone, a man or a woman, to do a particular task for him and because of things, because of position, because of personal desires, whatever it might be, uh, it could even be family sometimes that hinders them, uh, they, they don't do what God has called them to do. Uh, when, I was, uh, when I was looking for a church, I was still in Wisconsin, uh, and God had made it very, very clear that I was to leave Green Bay and, and go take a pastorate somewhere, and I came back to the state of New York. I went to quite a few different churches and uh, visited with them. There was one in particular that I preached on a Sunday morning, and then the next, uh, that, that Sunday night, or excuse me, Monday night, the next night, uh, I sat with the, the deacons of the church, and we talked about some things, and there was one fellow in particular that kind of caught my eye. He was a head deacon. And uh, I got to talking to him about, about, about what he was doing in his life and so forth. And I can't remember if it was before we had the meeting or after we had the meeting. But I noticed he, he liked to be controlling. And, uh, and I could tell that if I had gone there that there would have been a problem between, between the pastor and the deacon and the head deacon. And uh, I, I got to talking to him about, about a little bit about his past, about his life. And he explained to me that, uh, that he went to Bible college. And that he went to Bible college with the intention of entering into the ministry. 
But after he graduated, he changed his mind. I'm not so sure God changed his mind, but he changed his mind and decided to do something else. Uh, I don't know anything more about the story than that, and so I need to be careful not to assume anything, but it sure looks like there were some things, there were some desires, there were some personal plans that got ahead of his calling from God. And, and again, I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't really judge the matter, but just from the way that, that he responded to various things throughout the evening, it certainly looked that way. Be careful. Be careful of holding on to your rights and holding on to your possessions and holding on to your own desires in such a way that when God calls you to do something or God calls you to go somewhere or God calls you to step out by faith, uh, you have a hard time doing that. Second thing I, I've observed is that unyielded rights cause a person to be materially minded. Now that was this rich young ruler's problem. He was materially minded. And uh, when you get like that, uh, you, you think that you deserve a certain standard. When you become materially minded, you, th you think you deserve something. Honestly, you do deserve something. Same thing I deserve, hell, because I'm a sinner. That's the only thing I deserve. I, I, you know, I don't deserve a good church like this as a pastor. I don't, I don't deserve the family that I have. I don't deserve the house I live in. I don't deserve the car I drive. I don't deserve any of those things. When you start thinking that you do deserve those things, then it's an indication that you've, a red flag that, that uh, you've, you've stepped into uh, the area of uh, having a problem with material things and becoming materially minded. Um, the Apostle Paul said this in the book of Philippians. He said, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Well, what that tells me is that he knows how to do both those things because he was both those things. There were times when he abounded, when he had more than enough, and there are other times when he was abased and he had little or nothing. There were times when he went to jail. I heard a, a preacher make a comment here just the other day uh, that uh, he, he, it was in an interview, and he said, you know, when the apostle Paul went into a town, he said he didn't go into the town and check out how good the hotels were. He went into the town and checked the jails first because he knew that's where he was eventually going to end up. And that's really true. But, you know, what that also says is, is that the Apostle Paul knew both things, and he had to learn things when he abounded, and he had to learn things when he abased, when he was abased. And uh, if you have no rights, then you have no expectations. Um, Bible talks about seven churches in the book of Revelation, and the last church is the church at Laodicea. I believe we're in the Laodicean church age. And the word Laodicea means people's rights. And that's, that's really the age that we're living in. We're living in the age where everybody has their rights. And if you have rights, you have high expectations. If you have no rights, if you've given those and surrendered those rights to God, then your expectations aren't in things. Your expectation is not in events. Your expectation isn't even in people. Your expectation 
is, is, is in God. And you expect great things from him. You expect him to take care of you. Uh, you, you, uh, you. You know how to trust your Lord. Uh, if, you, if, you have, if you have a right to something, then you also have expectations. And then, then the fourth thing is uh, rights and ownership are linked to gratefulness. Rights and ownership are linked to gratefulness. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. In Romans 1, look down in verse, verses 20 and 21. In verse 20, it says, For the invisible things of him, speaking of God from the creation of the world, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Uh, not glorifying God always leads to ingratitude, always leads to selfishness, and it leads to materialism. Uh, how do we glorify God? We glorify God not by mere verbal praise, but we glorify God by giving him ourselves, giving him our lives, giving him all that we own. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I remember fairly early in my Christian life, someone pointed out, and I don't remember who it was, probably in a message, probably in a sermon, someone pointed out to me 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 19 and 20. It says in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 6, it says what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Now, he's speaking to saved people. He's speaking to folks that have trusted Christ as Savior. And he says that you're not your own. In verse 20, he says, For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It's, it's important to understand that we are not our own. It's important to understand that we really don't own a thing. All we are is stewards. And, and uh, Paul said uh, to the Corinthians, he says, it's required of stewards that a man be found faithful. One of the ways that we, we are found faithful is by giving all that we have back to God and realizing that our own, our own physical life, our family, our our. Uh, our, our, our belongings, our jobs, everything that we have does not belong to us. It all belongs to him. He can take it and he can do with it anything that he would like to do. Now, the way you can tell, again, whether or not uh, that's truly your attitude, and that's true regardless of whether you have the right attitude or not, but if that's truly your attitude, you will have little anger, and a little worry in your life. The more anger and the more worry you have, that's an indication. That's a red flag. And that's telling us 
that we really haven't surrendered whatever it is we're concerned about to the Lord. Uh, the fifth thing that, that uh, I saw in this passage was that we're, we're to focus on our responsibilities and not our rights. We, th we think we have a right to things. We think we have uh, a right to possessions. We think we have a right to a, a certain type of job. If you have gone to school and you've got a certain kind of degree, you think you ought to be able to earn a certain amount of money. Uh, we, we've, we, what we have a tendency to do is to focus on what our rights are, what we deserve, instead of our responsibilities. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture over and over again focuses on our responsibilities first before God and secondly to others. And it's not our rights that are important, but it's what we're responsible for that's important. As an example, in the book of uh, Ephesians, Bible says that husbands are not to focus on the subjection of the wife. They're not to focus on the reverence of the wife, although the wives are told to subject themselves and to reverence their own husbands. But that's not what, as husbands, we're supposed to focus on. You know what we're supposed to focus on? Our responsibility. What's our responsibility? Love your wife. Even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Wives are, are, are not told to expect love. They're not to expect it. Uh, they're not to look at what they, what they deserve according to Scripture. I mean, the Bible says that husbands are supposed to love their wives. But that's not what a wife should focus on. The Bible says that a, a wife ought to focus on submission and submitting herself and her desires and her wants and her needs to her husband. Uh, you go to Ephesians 6 and children. Children are supposed to focus on obedience and they're supposed to focus on honor. Uh, when, you, when a person focuses on rights, invariably rebellion starts to show up in their life. I've watched it again, I've watched it in my own life, I've watched it in the lives of others. And uh, we're to focus on, 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 on uh, responsibility. When we focus on rights, we produce rebellion. When we focus on responsibility, God gives us revival. I really believe one of the reasons why we do not have spiritual revival in individuals' lives and families and churches and across our country is because we're so focused on rights and what we deserve. And it's because we have not given our rights over to God. The question I have for you tonight is, is there anything that God couldn't have from you today without a fight from you? Uh, if God wanted to take your health, would you fight him on it or would you surrender it to him? If God wanted to take your wealth, uh, would you fight him on it? Or would you surrender to him in that area? Um, there's nothing that we have and there's nothing that we are that God shouldn't be able to take from us and use in, for his purposes in a moment's notice. 
Anger and worry are indications that we're not yielded, that we've not yielded the things in our life, the people in our life, the circumstances in our lives. We've not yielded those things to God. And we're truly not trusting Him. Can I tell you something? God can handle the affairs of my life better than I can. Now, am I supposed to be a stupid steward? No. Am I supposed to be an irresponsible steward? No. No, I'm not. I'm supposed to be careful. I'm supposed to be circumspect. However, the end result is God can and should be able to do anything with what we have and what we are that he would desire to do. Um, have you ever given your possessions to God? You ever given him your car? You ever given him your house? I don't mean your. I don't mean your, you write the deed over to God. I mean, I mean, you, it just in your heart, you give those things to him. Uh, you 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 uh, give to him the the people in your life. Have you ever given? You know, and this is a good thing to think of, especially during this time. You ever given God your health? You know, one of the things that we don't like. We don't like, one of the reasons why we don't like growing older, and I speak as a 68, almost 69-year-old man, uh, we don't like growing older because our health deteriorates, and we lose it. We don't want to lose that. We've held it precious uh, to, to, you know, we've held it precious to ourselves our entire life. But the bottom line is, we don't own it. God does. And the Bible says our, our, our body and our spirits are God's. Now, that's spirit with a small s, not a big s. That means that, that, that our attitudes and our desires and our, the physical things that we have all ought to be surrendered to God. Have, have you given to God the people in your life? Have you, have you given to God your personal rights? Maybe you're here and, and watching this broadcast uh, tonight, and you've never given your sin to God. You've never come to God and said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm going to hell, and I'm going to hell because I deserve that. But I'm going to repent of my sin. I'm going to turn from it. And I'm going to trust Jesus Christ and Him alone as my personal Savior. That's where the surrendering of rights begins. If you've not done that, if you've not trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, given your sin to Him and allowed Him to forgive you of all your sins, and in turn give you eternal life, then this real message really means nothing. Uh, after you've, you've done that, after you've trusted Christ, that's the time that he wants us to give over our rights, he wants us to give over our desires, he wants us to give over our plans. But who owns those things in your life? Is it you or is it God? Is there anything that God desires in your life that really in your heart of hearts you have said, God, you can have it all except? Let's bow for prayer. Father, I pray as we have this invitation Lord, there's uh, only two other people in this, in this sanctuary tonight, but there's all kinds of folks in their homes that have just heard that message. Lord, if you're speaking to, to hearts tonight, I pray that uh, folks would be willing to yield themselves to you. 
I, don't, I have no idea what it might be that you are tugging on somebody's heartstrings to give up to, to, to you. Lord, I know of no, no better person to give anything up to in, in our lives than, than our, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Maybe there's someone here tonight that has, is watching this broadcast and is not saved, knows they're not saved, have never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. I pray tonight to be the night they'd fall to their knees and cry out for mercy and ask you to save them and give them eternal life. God, please, just have your will and have your way in the invitation tonight. Help us to be willing to do business with you as you speak to us. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together if you would. Do so with your heads.